Welcome back. You're listening to episode 100 of Design Today. I'm your host, Dylan Winspear, and my mission is to help you improve your UX game from beginning to end. Whether you're fresh out of school or five years in, my goal is to help you figure out the next steps to excel your career. I have got something special prepared for you all today, and the truth is, I've been working on this for well over a month now. As I mentioned, this is episode 100, and over the past two years, I've shared over 2,500 minutes of content. That is enough to fill two days worth of nonstop Design Today podcast listening. Not something I'd recommend, but nonetheless, it is an option. To date, I've had nearly 50 different industry professionals on the show sharing their great insights, and selfishly, I can't tell you how much I've personally gained from having them on. If you've been listening for a while, then you might have heard this story before, but if you're new, I'll share this little backstory. I started Design Today because I wanted to do a better job of documenting my learnings. I was never a strong writer, and as inconsistent as they come with regards to writing blog posts. As the industry competition started heating up, I wanted a way to showcase the extra. I wanted to showcase uh, what I was passionate about and learning a ton along the way. At the same time, I had been freelancing and building professional relationships with a lot of incredible people. And that's when it dawned on me. If I could just slap a microphone between us, I'd be able to capture everything I was learning, and if it helps out others in the industry, then fantastic. I hope this show has helped you in some way or another. If it has, would you mind leaving a review or sharing this with a friend? That sort of grassroots effort has always been the bread and butter of the Design Today listeners. From the most sincere bottom of my heart, thank you for going on this journey with me. Thank you for choosing to listen to Design Today. Now, what do I have in store for you on this episode? I brought back seven of the fan favorite guests to say hi and give us an update. I was super excited to chat with them again, all of which I now consider friends of the show. The first guest I got to catch up with was Sarah Duty. She originally joined me on episode 60, where we discussed life after UX boot camps and what designers in that situation can be doing to prepare for their first internship or salaried positions. She shared a ton of great insights, including her thoughts on PDF portfolios, and ways to get your foot in the door with the position that you're interested in. Needless to say, I was eager to chat with her again. Here's how it went. 100 episodes. 100 episodes. <laughs> it's amazing. I can't even believe it. When I started this uh, once upon a time two years ago, I was uh, I had seen a stat that said most podcasts uh, stop ap- after episode seven. Mm-hmm. And that, that was my goal. Let's see if yeah. I can get to seven and see if I still like it after seven. Uh huh. And here we are a hundred episodes later. It's just kind of unreal. Yeah. Anyways, thank you for joining me. This is uh this has been pretty uh, cool experience to be able to reconnect with some of the fan favorite guests over the last couple of years. Um, I reached out to you and I reached out to a handful of others, uh, to celebrate this uh, episode 100 yeah. and to be able to kind of rekindle, uh, get some updates and get some, you know, you know, what the latest and greatest has been. And we'll chat for, you know, 15, 20 minutes. I'm probably going to end up cutting that down closer to like seven, 10 yeah. minutes. Um, but that's that's kind of the the rundown. There's nothing in particular that I wanted to uh, cover or anything like that. Just okay. catch up with you. It was last summer, wasn't it? Yeah. It was. What, yeah, it went live in October last year. Yeah. So we probably recorded end of summer. Yep. 
I remember. I think I was just on my way out of town or something like that. But yeah, I remember. <laughs> I think you were. I think you were. Were you heading back to Portugal back or something? Either going back east or going to Portugal, probably. And that we're heading into your favorite time of the year. Ski season. I I have three pairs of skis. I don't. You can't see them, but I have three pairs of skis. I'm tweaking the setup for this winter. <laughs> so are you getting pretty amped up for the ski season then? I am cautiously amping myself up. I mean, I I have high hopes, but I, you know, I, I I've mentally prepared myself that there might be a day when they shut it all down. So we'll shut see. That I went backcountry like avalanche level one certified, but I'm trying to find a group of people to befriend to do that with. So that's my goal for the winter. <laughs> Yeah, you won't catch me in the backcountry. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I backcountry I use loosely. It's like, you know, go uphill at a grizzly gulch or something up past Alta. I mean, the very low-key stuff. Sure. Well, Sarah, what have you been up to over the last year since we last spoke? What's been the latest and greatest in your world? Ooh, the last year. Gosh, let me think about that. <laughs> Um, well, besides all the mountain biking and all the skiing that I'm sure happened last winter, besides all that, what has been going on in the Sarah duty, uh, UX instructor world in the world? Well, it's funny because we spoke in the fall and I was gearing up to speak at a couple of conferences. And one of the conferences I spoke at, uh, they did like very detailed speaker feedback and my talk ended up being the highest rated talk in the entire thing. And I don't say that to brag. I say that because I've always had a little bit of imposter syndrome when it comes to public speaking, which might shock some people. But um, it kind of gave me, uh, it helped reframe the possibility of maybe doing a lot more speaking in 2020. So I had crafted this giant plan of all the places I was going to speak and make that a big focus for 2020. (laughs) And the whole, my whole office was covered in giant post-it notes with ideas for new talks and everything. And then coronavirus happened. (laughs) And I've seen an increased demand in help with portfolios, job search, et cetera. So Mm -hmm. that really made me, um, realize the impact of what I do. And it kind of lit a fire under me to try and tweak different parts of the student experience, let's say, in my courses and coaching stuff so that people can get results faster. So even though I might not be doing like user flows and wireframes and customer journeys and stuff, there was a ton of UX that went into thinking through how might I um, get people hired faster? And that involved tweaking a lot of the materials and stuff, which was a lot of fun. Yeah, that's crazy. And and did that cause you to rewrite your existing course? Because I also know that you've been working on a new course of some type, right? Yes, I have been... um, a little bit all over the place. So you made me think of something. In early April, I believe, I uh-huh. started switching. I do office hours once a month. And then I thought, you know what? I'm going to be nice and meet people where they are and do office hours once a week. Um, okay. 
that gave me a lot of intel as to the mistakes people were making. And since April, I've been doing office hours once a week. And I have finally reached the point where I can no longer listen to myself, give the same advice over and over. <laughs> so and that I, caused a new course. <laughs> so I've gone back and redone a lot of, um, not my entire course yet, but different components of it. So for example, the writing of case studies and breaking it down like 1.1, 1.2, 1.3, very, mm -hmm. very, very, very specific so that people will not get lost. And any question that they used to ask in office hours, they hopefully don't answer anymore. Um, so that's been a lot of fun. And you know, as a product person, you want to be measuring the impact of what you do. And it's funny today on our office hours, I was noticing people are no longer asking questions about how to. It's more, please critique this. And when I critique it, I'm doing less teaching and I'm more just tweaking, if that makes sense, which tells me nice. The changes are working. So that's good. Yeah. It's, you know, online online courses and curriculum and teaching, it's not a traditional product, but if you treat mm -hmm. it like one, you can still do a lot of the same stuff that you yeah. learn as a product person. For sure. For sure. Yeah. So our episode that we recorded, episode, I believe it was episode 60, was <laughs> titled, uh, You Finish Your UX Bootcamp, Now What? Mm -hmm. And it sounds like you've learned quite a bit more through these uh, coaching sessions that you've been doing every yeah. week. Uh, what's one bit of advice that you would share then today that maybe we didn't talk about a year ago? The absolute biggest piece of advice that is on my mind right now is mm -hmm. that we need to do a better job at teaching people how to write. Lots of people are not good at writing. Um, and that's just because it's something you're not taught. And I think it's also a generational thing where because of social media, we've almost created this entire generation of, you know, people that graduated college in the last decade who were also posting short little messages on chat and LinkedIn and not LinkedIn. <laughs> they don't use LinkedIn in college, Unfortunately. but um, Facebook and Twitter and all that stuff. And the, the art of writing um, succinct yet detailed um, persuasive even stuff. It's just not there anymore. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, writing is a huge part of your portfolio. Writing is a huge part of your resume of your LinkedIn. And also if you can learn to write, then you will stumble less in interviews, in presentations you do as stakeholders. So, you know, I do these courses about portfolios and things, but it's really like learn how to think and learn how to write. That's the heart of it. I love that. Yeah. That's that's funny. You talked about a moment ago about, you know, lighting a fire under you. Maybe this will light a fire under you and okay. uh, cause you to maybe want to come back to design today and have a part two <laughs> episode. The only episode on YouTube that has more views than the Sarah Duty episode oh. was about UX writing. There and, you go. And it's funny because I've actually seen that video continue to get more and more views. Uh, it was posted, you know, a year and a half ago, but it gets more and more views today because people are searching that out. They're mm -hmm. searching out uh, more content around what makes a good UX writer mm -hmm. and 
you know, UX writing principles. And they still frame it up in this mind of like UX writing, mm -hmm. where I think a lot of it is just, it's, it's writing. Right. And there's a part of it that is UX writing, but it is just learning writing basic. Yes. And, you know, early in my career, I had this friend who always talked about the idea of portable equity and transferable skills in your role so that even if you leave that job, what skills are you acquiring that you could use, you know, if I decide to get out of UX and, you know, start a bakery or something, mm -hmm. writing, communication, those are going to serve you, you know, even in your personal relationships. Um, it's just, it's, it doesn't take that long to learn it too. Um, I think the best way to learn it is just to be doing it. And this is like tangentially related because you were asking about what was I up to. So I'm also writing this book and I had high hopes like, oh, I'll knock it out in four, four months. I actually hired this book coach and he said, okay, it'll cost this much and it'll take this long. And I said, well, if I pay you more, can it happen faster? <laughs> he said, well, that's not how it works. So um, <laughs> it's kind of on the back burner. Um, and I will say, I'm not going to tell you all about it, but it's not a user experience book, but it applies UX stuff to our lives. Um, wow. The act of writing that book, though, taught me a lot about how to teach. Um, and when it comes to writing, I think the best way to teach that is to use a ton of examples, you know, before and after, do this, don't that, don't do that. Let's take this sentence. And if we remove these three words, this is how much better it is. So it's a lot of work to teach stuff like that. But even today on my office hours, people in the chat were saying, oh my gosh, I totally see it now that you just like redlined that sentence for us. Mm-hmm. That's really cool. I appreciate you sharing some of those insights and some of those tidbits. I mean, this stuff is extremely powerful. And again, like your episode that we recorded together, uh, actionable. And yes. I'll encourage people to, to search you out and find you. Yeah. Sarah, thank you so much for your time. This was uh, everything and then some I hope for in talking with you again. Uh, you're a great friend. You've got amazing insights. Uh, and I appreciate you joining me here. Thanks for having me. Congrats on 100. I can't believe it. Thank you very much. Sarah has always been good to us on this show, and I love her insight into the need for better UX writing. It's something that many of us struggle with, but why do we need to write? We're designers, not writers. To quote my most recent Design Today guest, Tori Podmajerski, your design isn't complete until the words make sense. So much of human interaction involves communication. While part of that is definitely visual communication, it's also largely written communication. And my next guest for you has spent the better part of her career as a UX content strategist. Madison Stevens joined me all the way back on episode 34, and her episode chalked up the most YouTube views than any other episode I've posted. The best part is that it continues to get views the more and more UX designers are recognizing the need for better writing skills. When Madison last joined me, she gave what she called the five mantras of great UX writing. When I caught up with her, she also gave me a couple updates to that list that I'm sure you're going to like. Madison, it's been a while. How are things going? Yeah, all is well. Still in New York? Yes. Yes, I'm and, in Brooklyn. And what does New York look like these days? Is it a ghost um, town or is it still New York? 
No, it's definitely still Zoo York. I mean, it depends yeah. on what neighborhood you're really in. My neighborhood hasn't changed much at all. It's actually become more expensive through the pandemic, whereas Manhattan has, um, I think the apartments have emptied out a little bit more. Like residentially, it's not the same. Um, and like people aren't buying office space the way mm -hmm. that they were before. Mm -hmm. But um, so like Midtown is a little bit more of a ghost town from what I hear. But everywhere, I mean, people are all out on the streets. Every restaurant has tons of seating outside and all of them are full. Like it's just, yeah. it's so many people outside. I feel like there's a huge sense of community, like right after the um, the sort of lockdown and when, once our numbers started to go down, then it was just like everyone, like my neighbors started saying hi to me, like random people that I don't know. And that does not happen in New York. So yeah, I, I feel like New York's probably had a better, uh, I mean, this hopefully doesn't sound dark, but they've probably had <laughs> practice at this considering the the events that New York has gone through in the past. And I also think people in New York, I mean, they're very resilient and, mm. and they're used to being in enclosed in, in tinier spaces. And, um, I don't know. I think that was the hardest part of the whole, uh, shutdown here was, yeah, we have extremely small spaces, but beautiful local parks. So that yeah. was perfect. Cool. I invited you because this is episode 100 and the Congrats. episode that, thank you very much. Yes. Thank you very much. Uh, the episode that we recorded, oh, oh gosh, how long ago was that? How long have you been in New York now? I've been out here uh, a year and a few months. And I, I think it was at least a year and a half ago because that's how about when I started at TopTal. So it was yeah. a couple months before that. Yeah. So we're talking, you and I did an episode over a year and a half ago and that episode, it's funny how often it's still like bubbles up. Like every now and then I think somebody shares it on a blog post or something like that. And all of a sudden it gets traction again. Amazing. Uh, and it's crazy. And I laugh at it, not because the episode, uh, not anything to do with the episode, but the quality of that episode, my microphone <laughs> setup was so awful. The episode's sound quality is hard for me to listen to just because there's like echo in it and there's like this reverb in it. It's like it's a tough episode to listen to, but the content is fantastic. <laughs> and as bad as the quality is, people keep going back and listening to the content. And so, I'm so glad to hear that. You you shared a lot of great insights on about strategic writing. Um, I'm curious to ask. What have you learned since we last spoke a year and a half ago um, that you might want to share? Yeah. I mean, I if I were to add another mantra, I think it would mm -hmm. be that you don't need to reinvent the wheel. And uh, by saying that, then I mean that when we are writing in these technical spaces and with product people and subject matter experts, it's really easy to overcomplicate something that seems really simple or something that actually is really simple um from a user's perspective but when we are behind the scenes and we're working on something that actually might be really complicated under the hood um it doesn't need to appear complicated to our customers and um and to to go into this a little further i thought about an example from my own work experience in the last year and a half and um, we were redesigning what is called our talent portal within mm -hmm. CopTal. And, um, and specifically, we were redesigning the interview experience, or sorry, the application experience. And it used to be called application builder rather than, okay. you know, 
to me that I was like, this sounds clunky. It doesn't sound intuitive. Um, it sounds arduous. Like, I don't think that this is going to be something that will um, be simple or easy for me to do. And for someone that is seeking a job, then they're probably applying to a lot of jobs. And that's something that you want to make seamless and easy and, and effortless. And so I wanted to rethink how we actually labeled all of the steps of that process. And previously, then they were review application conditions, um, create an application card, and write a pitch. And so in in the redesign, then I wanted to change that to, and it sounds really simple. It sounds really easy, just like a lot of UX content principles are. Mm-hmm. But actually pairing back and getting down to what the fundamental use of something is, is often really difficult. And so we ended up calling it, um, I think it just became apply to a job. And then from there, then we decided that the next step was going to be review job terms and then highlight your experience and write a pitch. And that's so much simpler. It does sound more effortless. Those are terms that people are familiar with and that they use in their regular life as opposed to things that sound wordy. And so um, that was something that I was really excited about just because it seemed to take much longer (laughs) than you would have expected to get to that point. And And I think it's something similar with, you know, with people's lives where you're trying to get rid of these things that seem unnecessary and that maybe don't bring happiness or joy or um, not minimalism per se, but I do think that there's a lot to be said about um, just getting down to what is simple and necessary and, and embracing it. And especially with, within product language, we don't want anyone to have to um, email a customer service person or look something up just because we've decided to brand it when it's already something that exists in other products and that has uh, that our customers have a mental model for it. Mm -hmm. So when you shared that, I think it's really insightful. My initial reaction to don't like reinvent the wheel. My initial reaction was, are you talking about uh, adhering to patterns that are already out there? But what I think you're saying is that, you know, in your scenario, there weren't necessarily patterns out there, but there were terms that would resonate better with others. And so instead of like reinventing these terms, uh, you're kind of breaking those down into what are they already going to be familiar with in order to get them down the path. Is that right? Absolutely. And then also along those lines, exactly what you were, um, what your original assumption was in that, you know, sometimes you might have something that's as simple as a schedule and you've named it something else according to, um, to whatever your brand guidelines are or or whatever your product is that is to make it special or to make it seem um unique when in reality it's a schedule it's a calendar that's that could be the name for it rather mm-hmm. than coming up with something else because it's only going to overcomplicate it the experience for the user yep do you have any advice for uh future ux content strategists how did they get into the field what advice do you have for them if they're early on in their career um my Advice is to partner with UX designers as much as possible to uh, really dig your um, really dig into UX principles and what is going to encourage good design and a positive experience and to um, to also really have a, a strong relationship with product managers so that they trust you and um, I found that having that balance between the two of them and having both of those um, partners really on on the same same level, but also um, enabling that trust is 
absolutely fundamental to not only doing the best work that you can and having all the information you need to provide the best solutions, but um, but also to allowing those people to see your perspective and understand how uh, what you're saying will improve the experience. The, the trust is so important, I think, yeah. across product organizations, but um, especially in the last year and a half, then a lot of my my uh, the things that I've been working on have been getting more involved with teams and really, you know, improving the process, like just completely reimagining how I can work with people. And when they trust you, then, then that's anything is possible, really. That's awesome. I appreciate the insight. It's, it's cool that here we are a year and a half later, we can have a little part two of uh, what we started back then. Uh, and, and you pick up right where we left off. So thank you so much for taking time and, and joining me. This is uh, exactly what we're, what we're looking for. Thank you for celebrating yes. episode 100. Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. I've had some of the most talented coworkers over the course of my career. I know there's definitely a bias in saying that. We all think our coworkers are great. But the talent, skill, determination, and resilience of my next guest made her a fan favorite that I had to get back on the show. Sarah K. Miller was a coworker of mine a couple years back before her talents took her to her dream job. I won't get into those details too much. Instead, I'll let her tell that story. What I will say is this. Sarah K. has set an example for me on doing what you're passionate about. Life is too short to be unhappy. Find what makes you happy and relentlessly pursue that. It doesn't mean the path will always be easy, but it will be worth it. Hey, how are you? I'm doing great. How are you? So good. It's so good to see you. It feels like it's been ages. Well, it kind of has. I think this year has lasted at least 10 years, and it was a while before that, the last time we saw each other. So, Sarah, I want you to... uh, Okay, let me back up. When we had you on the podcast that was over a year and a half ago i believe it was early 2019 so almost two years ago um we were co-workers and we are no longer co-workers so give us the the people who are listening an update on what happened since that episode yeah since that episode I, my husband got a job in Chicago. And so I switched from working in person at Domo with you and our teams to working remotely. And I did that for a few months. And then very unexpectedly, uh, a data visualization hero of mine, Georgia Lupi, joined uh, a design agency called Pentagram and announced on social media and a few other channels that she was looking to hire. And well, I, okay. you're brushing you're brushing over <laughs> some, some serious pieces in this story here. Uh, obviously, I think your passion for data is definitely came through when we talked uh, on the episode. But you know, an agency named Pentagram. Okay. Uh, yes. Come on. <laughs> the Pentagram. <laughs> the Pentagram, one of the top agencies in the world. I mean, this is yeah. this is no joke. And when when the opportunity came around uh, that you could take this opportunity at Pentagram. Domo had no cards to play at that point. It was just kind of like, this is right up her alley. This, I mean, potentially a dream job of hers. And who are we to stand in the way of this, right? So, yeah, I, was, I mean, that's kind of incredible. It it was it was pretty unreal. Uh, so she announced on social media that she was looking to hire, and so I was like, 
I should at least try. Like I was really happy with Domo and enjoying my time and doing data viz at work and as a hobby. Um, but I was like, wow, if I could work with Georgia, that'd be amazing. And so I applied and things worked out really quickly. And so I moved to New York. I got the job, moved to New York and yeah. have worked there for the past year and a half. Now they did a, move very quickly. How how quickly was that? It was, I, um, I inter, let's see, I applied and then 20 minutes later, she emailed back asking when we could do an interview. And I was like, oh, I'm in Chicago. You're in New York. I, I can do it remotely. Uh, and so we set up an interview for the next day. And then I got an offer the day after that. So it was super fast. And then I put in my two weeks at Domo and then moved to New York uh, in like two weeks. So. That's unreal. I mean, like that is not normal. No. No, no, and, no. uh, you know, I think people listening to this be like, sweet. So you apply and you get a phone call 20 minutes later. That's not how it works. No, it was, <laughs> it was very unreal. And like, uh, my life changed very quickly and very unexpectedly, especially when it starts with a call on Instagram or no, on Twitter saying, uh, looking for some people Yeah, and 20 minutes later, you got a phone call. Yeah, it, it was. It was crazy. There was definitely, it even took like a lot of courage to even just like apply. So I like messaged sure. her on Instagram and said, Hey, I'm applying to this position. Even though like there's like an imposter in me being like, No, like you're, you don't have that. Blah, 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 blah. But something in me like told her I was going to apply. And then I was like, Oh, now I really have to apply. <laughs> like get that portfolio together. So. Now, when I uh, I went back and I listened to uh, a bit of our episode, and I believe it was episode 16, 19, episode 19. Sarah Kay was on episode 19. Oh, it feels like forever ago. Wow, that is. Uh, I mean, and when I, when I went back and I listened to it and I introduced you, I'm almost like embarrassed at how I introduced you because I, I talked to the fact that like at that point in time, you didn't have a lot of quote unquote experience. Yeah, no. It's and true. and you were killing it at Domo, and that's kind of what we we kind of based the whole episode off of was you know your experiences uh, just developed you into an incredible talent, and Domo was so grateful to have that talent for as long as we had it. Um, I don't feel like I can introduce you like that anymore. It's not that Sarah Kay is lacking talent anymore. She's working at a world-renowned agency called Pentagram on this data visualization team. Tell me what your title is and tell me a little bit about what that team uh, looks like and what you guys work on. Yeah, uh, so Pentagram is a really unique place. Um, it's one of the oldest design agencies in the world. It's been around for almost 50 years, which is pretty cool. Um, but most companies have a typical kind of pyramid structure with the CEO and C-suite and management kind of trickling down from there. But mm -hmm. at Pentagram, there's 24 partners and no CEO. And so the 24 partners each run their own team, but then also are able to pool and share resources as uh, a larger company under like the Pentagram family umbrella. So when Georgia joined, she um, basically got to build up her team from the ground up. And so she joined last May and then um, was looking to hire in June. And then me and our project manager, Phil Cox, started, we were her first hires and started in July. So our team 
initially it was just the three of us. It was really small, but we've since grown and added uh, two more designers to the team. So that's awesome. It's really great. Yeah. Tell me what type of projects you've been able to work on. I mean, whatever you can talk about. Yeah, we have a few things that have made it out. A few things that have uh, died because of the pandemic, which is sure. sad, but uh, I think normal for a lot of people in the design world. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, all our projects definitely have a data viz element. That's what we're really focused on. Um, we're interested in like data viz branding kind of overlapping projects. We've done, uh, we did a museum exhibit at the Museum of the City of New York about the US Census. Cool. It was like an interactive uh, survey that generated a data portrait of your answers. So that was really cool. Um, we've done like print magazine kind of uh, designs, data viz pieces that go in print media. Um, yeah, a little bit of everything. It's the full gamut. Sure. So there's the the adage of uh, don't turn your hobbies into your work. And you have turned your hobbies into your work. Yes. What do you have to say about that adage? Uh, there are pros and cons. <laughs> <laughs> so it depends on who you are. Um, I can see how I've I, in the past year and a half, it's been harder for me to do my own like self-initiated initiated database projects on the side. That's been really challenging because I think after doing it for eight hours a day, I just want to do something different. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's been a huge shift personally being like, oh, I don't want to do more data viz on the weekend. I'm already doing it 40 hours a week. So I'm like, I'm still doing it, but it's like a different flavor. Yeah. So um, that's like been a really interesting shift. Um, but it's also really like fun and rewarding to do it for my job. So. It, it depends. I would say. I would say for some people, probably true. Um, so, think about who you are. <laughs> You're still happy to be in the space, though. Yeah, it's been great. I mean, I I miss the office a lot. That was yeah, yeah. It's our whole team. We kind of like miss seeing each other. Yeah, but I think that's everybody right now. So yeah, that's totally true. the The lack of social connection is definitely been trying on a lot of people this year. Yes. So, I got to ask you, have you met Michael Beirut yet? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we did a project. We, we've we collaborated with a few of the partners. And so we did a collaboration with Michael. And he's super nice. He's awesome. Well, Sarah Kay, thank you for taking the time to chat with me today. It's been awesome to celebrate episode 100 with you. Of course. Congratulations. That's huge. I personally feel like Design Today turned a corner in 2020. While the year itself presented many unique challenges, there were also opportunities that came of it. For the better part of the first year of this podcast, nearly all of my guests could be found here in Utah, and all my interviews happened here in person in my office. I wouldn't take that back for the world, but the unique opportunity to start trying to figure out how to record remote interviews opened up a new world of potential guests. The first interview of the year started off with a bang, and honestly, I was a bit starstruck. Nir Ayal joined me for episode 65 to discuss some of the themes from his newest book, Indistractable, How to Control Your Attention and Choose Your Life. Ironically enough, avoiding distraction was a theme for me this year, and we talk a bit about that as we got caught up. What have you been up to, man? 
I have been trying to uh, keep my family healthy from Corona <laughs> primarily. Uh, and uh, thankfully, so far, so good. Uh, it's a tough time out there, but uh, yeah, yeah, trying to do my best to help people stay indistractable during this very distracting period between what's happening politically and uh, with the pandemic. Uh, the world has certainly become a very distracting place. And so I'm doing my best to try and help people manage that. What a need to avoid distractions at this point in time. And we can even go as far as say like these distractions are even now becoming like more and more mentally unhealthy for people. <laughs> And so like to keep yourself narrowed in and zoned in is, uh, is extremely important today. Yeah. And, it, and it's difficult because some of the information out there that's coming at us is very important for our uh, health, for our well-being. We need to know what's going on. On the other hand, uh, most people are not struggling with not knowing enough. They're struggling with too much information. They're, st- yeah. they're struggling with constantly refreshing their feeds, constantly watching the news, constantly checking up on what's going on. To an extent that's really not healthy. Um, I, I read a, uh, a a quote the other day. I think it was Neil Postman, I think, who said it, that um, news is information you can act upon. Everything else is entertainment. Mm-hmm. You know, when you mm-hmm. think about how much information mm-hmm. we absorb thinking, oh, I need to know this. This is super important, right? I need to know what's happening yeah. in the world to be a, a good citizen. And uh, how much of it can you actually act upon? Ooh, tiny fraction. <laughs> it's overload. It's overload, right? And but, it but, totally but we should know. Take it. Let's take a step back here and realize most of it is is just noise or entertainment. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And and I think I found for myself that one of the things I've had to do since quarantine is I've had to avoid the extra noise. You're right. There's yeah. a lot of information that's important to have right now uh, regarding health and regarding politics and, and so on and so forth. But too much of it wasn't a good thing for me personally and uh trying to just kind of keep myself or keep all of it in moderation i think has been extremely healthy for me absolutely i mean that's what becoming indistractable is all about is that i don't tell people not to to uh use these technologies i think there's been a recent wave of uh this you know anti-technology sentiment and Mm -hmm. and look if it does if you don't like using social media if you don't like listening to podcasts if you don't like uh having access to the internet no problem i'm not going to tell you to keep using them but you know, for many of us, it's not so simple. We can't just right. disconnect. Our livelihoods depend on this stuff. And so what I want to teach people is how to get the best out of these tools without letting them get the best of us. Yeah. Um, since we last spoke, obviously, the release of your book, has, uh, it's been out there now for a while. What's the reception of the book been? How have, what's the kind of type of feedback have you gotten? What are the conversations that you've had since then? Oh, it's been fantastic. It's been really, you know, I, I, I was so thankful that I wrote the book uh, before Corona, uh, before Mm -hmm. the 2020 elections, uh, you know, I, I wrote it back, you know, over the past five years, uh, because I thought the world was plenty distracting back then. And now, oh my God, (laughs) it's only (laughs) more distracting. And frankly, I don't know if I could have gotten through this very difficult time, uh, without the methodologies that I spent the past five years, uh, working on and understanding and applying to my own life. I mean, there isn't a day that goes by that I don't apply everything that I've written in my book. It is, it is my lifeline to my, uh, my sanity and my productivity. And so uh, it's been really great. And I'll be honest with you, I wrote the book for me. Yeah. Um, and if other people like it uh, and benefit from it, that's fantastic. That's icing on the cake. Uh, mm-hmm. But it's really, it really was because I was having this problem with distraction and wanted to figure out how to, uh, how to control my attention and choose my life. 
And uh, since then, it's it's but it's done. You know, I I can't even believe how well it's resonated with people. We've sold over three hundred thousand copies. Um, it uh, was named an uh, Amazon Best Pick of the Year. Uh, it won the Owl Award. I mean, it's the critical reception has been great, and the stories I hear back from people saying my goodness, this has just changed my life. You know, like finally yeah. I can live my life the way I decide as opposed to constantly feeling like I have to do what my boss says or what my kids say or what the news says I should do. I can finally decide for myself and follow through. Well, congratulations. Those are massive, massive feats. And uh, how many copies did you say that was? 300,000. 300,000. That's incredible. Thanks. Yeah, so far so good. I mean, I again, you know, I, I I accomplished the goal when I started applying this to myself, but it's been really heartwarming to see how many people have benefited from it as well. Yeah. So I've got to ask you before I let you go, are you working on anything else yet? Uh, right now, you know, there's this new movie that came out on on Netflix, uh, The Social Dilemma. I'm not sure if you saw it. And yeah, uh, yes. I, was, I was interviewed for that movie. Um, about two years ago, and I sat down with them for three hours. We had a really great interview, and they didn't include anything I had to say in the film. <laughs> <laughs> I'm in the credits. If you watch the credits, you'll see my name, but they okay. didn't put me in the movie. And now I understand why, you know, after watching it, is because the narrative that I espouse doesn't yeah. fit with their narrative. Their narrative yeah. is you're powerless. You know, people in the movie say you're hijacked. They use that word. They say you're addicted. And I really take offense to that. Uh, for a couple of reasons. One, for God's sakes, hijacking is what they did to us on 9-11. It is not right. Candy Crush, okay? It is right. not Facebook. Give me a break. What a ridiculous, offensive term to use. It is not even addictive, right? Addiction is a persistent compulsive dependency on a behavior or substance that harms the user. It is a disease. An addiction is a pathology. We don't talk about epilepsy this way. We don't talk about Tourette mm -hmm. this way. And yet, somehow, mm -hmm. it's okay to talk about this disease of addiction as if, Ooh, I like to check uh, Facebook a lot. I'm addicted. Give me a break. It's so disempowering. It's so offensive. It's so unhelpful. And so that's my mission right now is to tell people, look, you are not powerless. You are not a victim. You are way more powerful than the tech companies by doing some very, very simple things. And I'm not pro-tech per se. I'm not anti-tech either. Sure. I'm for personal responsibility, personal agency, and realizing that you are only powerless if you think you are. And so sure. that's why I'm really on this mission right now to tell as many people as I possibly can that, that we can do something about this problem uh, as long as we don't give in to this ridiculous narrative and belief that we're powerless. So with that mission, where are you telling people this? Like, what, where's your platform going right now? Anybody who will host me. <laughs> You're doing it for me right now. <laughs> okay. Well, we, it's like uh, Social Dilemma needed a part two because you're right. They did not post what to do about it. Exactly. It was not about any action. It was just about this is the dilemma. Right. This is where right. we're at. Right. And, and, and the solution was like call your senator or wait for the big tech companies to change. And that's really – is that really what we want to do here when today we're going we're gonna to lose a generation by sitting on our hands and waiting for the geniuses in Washington to fix this problem? Seriously? Do something about it right now. How about turning off your stupid notifications? Huh? <laughs> you think Zuckerberg can go into your phone and turn your notifications back on? No. It's like that scene – do you remember that scene in Indiana Jones where uh, Indiana comes out into the bazaar? And there's this guy in all black and he has two swords and he's like, you know, he's like doing all these nunchuck karate skills, yeah, right? Yeah. With like the swords, very intimidating, very scary. Uh, yep. <laughs> and then what does Indiana Jones, do, do, what does he do? He takes out his gun, bang, 
shoots them dead with one bullet. It's over. And that is exactly what's going on now. The social media companies with their algorithms and their computers and you know all these chicken little tech critics are telling us how computers are pointed at our brains. And all we have to do, bang. Right? Yeah. This is, it's not that difficult, people. We just need to know what to do. And if we can apply these techniques judiciously, we are way more powerful than they are. 100%. Well, Nir, I have to thank you for uh, taking a moment to come celebrate episode 100 with us. Uh, the episode that we recorded together started 2020 on a high note, and uh, it, it was uh, definitely a fan favorite. So thank you for your time then. Thank you for your time now. Oh, my pleasure. Uh, and congratulations, 100. This is huge. Thank it's you. awesome. I'm so Thank glad you. to be a part of this twice now. Uh, near your stud, dude. Oh, Thank my you. pleasure. Anytime. It's always fun. Thank you so much. And congratulations again. Thank you very much. We'll talk All to right. you again later. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Near's book, Indistractable, was a highlight for me this year. I spend countless hours trying to figure out how to be more intentional with my time and less distracted. The tips in that book really have made a difference in my life, and I'm happy to endorse it. The next guest I wanted to bring back for you was someone who helped me flip a mental light switch. Anna Santos is a new friend of the show, and one who, when I reached out to see if she could make herself available to record an update, agreed without any questions. The episode we recorded together was called The Value of UX Deliverables, and it was truly an enlightening conversation. One of the biggest takeaways that I've in turn shared with my own little spin on it is the idea of connecting the dots with your portfolio case studies. Sure, you did a persona, and sure, you did a user journey map, and eventually some wireframes. But what was the value found in each of those steps? And how did one of those deliverables affect the next one? I loved that conversation, and catching up with Anna was a lot of fun as well. Well, so where are you at right now? I'm based in Port, uh, Portugal still. Yeah. You're um, still, but you've been doing a, a lot of traveling. I've been doing a bit of travel. I mean, not as much because the situation, right? But yeah. So. Well, where are the places that you've been visiting recently? Because I saw you guys were in, Was it, were you in Turkey recently? Turkey, yeah. <laughs> we were in Turkey. I'm actually going to South Africa in Christmas. So. Um. I wanted to ask you, um, you and uh, Werner, that was news to me. <laughs> oh, my God. Was it? <laughs> I, I mean, the, the funny thing is, is because I had connected with him probably around the same time I had connected with you, but I never crossed lines that you guys were dating. And like that just... And then I saw pictures of you two and I was like, oh, look at that. They're taking the whole Instagram networking thing to a new level. <laughs> and then I realized like, oh, they're they're pretty cuddly in these photos. Mm -hmm. Huh. There might be something more here than just an Instagram <laughs> friendship. Right. So that's a bit of a long story, right? Well, and on top of that, not I mean, you guys are also collaborating on a project. Is that right? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. We are Tell me a little bit about that, because when we last spoke, that wasn't a thing yet. So at least it wasn't a public thing. Maybe you guys were working on it behind the scenes, but tell me a little bit about it. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, yeah. So what, what we're actually doing, and this is an idea we had because we wanted to work on something together. And because it has um, it's a lot about branding, as you know. 
and I am about um, like I was about UX, but also about learning, like education. Mm-hmm. So I'm focusing now. So we decided, you know, we can take both uh, of those, you know, strengths into UX because both of them are related to UX. And because we are focusing on different things for our personal brands, why don't we um, target the people who, who keep looking for us, who are, you know, students and people who are wanting to pursue a career in UX? Uh, so, yeah, let's do something for people who are you know, uh, wanting to grow the career because there are so many problems. Like we talked, you know, the last time in our interview, there's so many problems with UX career. So instead of just launching a product or launching something, we decided to take people through our journey. So starting transparent from scratch through the, you know, the usual process. So we, we are doing the whole process. Like we did interviews, we are observing people, we are chatting. Uh, with our audience, we do lives, we get tons of feedback as well, which is great because it's really mm-hmm. helpful. And we even made up this term called real-time UX. Like you're the yeah, first I saw that. knowing. <laughs> so like in public, like a public format. Um, and yeah, it's really fun because we don't know yet what the solution is going to be like, which is what UX is about. We are building it as we go. Yeah. What's the reception been like so far as you guys have done your lives and as, as you start putting it out there, what's the reception been like so far? So I think uh, actually it's been better, uh, for example, with the subscribers, like with our mm-hmm. subscriber list. I think it, it did pick up and, and even people who are interested in my content, let's say, they were really excited about, you know, what is this new thing you're doing, like QuestKit. So I think it was good in that sense. For Instagram itself, I don't think Maybe, you know, we are new and, you know, Insta like new, <laughs> not new on Instagram, but, you know, the account right. new. Um, yep. So I think it's taking a while to pick up, but I still think people, you know, have fun with the lives. And I, you know, in the end, I think that's, you know, what it's all about, having a bit of fun, engaging with people, talking, not necessarily, you know, having like a lecture or uh, let's answer all your questions. So, of course, you know, I think, when we are answering questions, it's always more popular, but I've been really enjoying doing these chats and learning more about our audience. Yeah, that's really cool. So for those that are listening, they can find this uh, on Instagram, questkit.co. Um, yeah. Is there a website or anything? Oh, that's the website as well, questkit.co, and that's the Instagram uh, account. Exactly, exactly. That's the Instagram account as well, exactly. Cool. And that's also the link for our website. Well, that's awesome. You know, when when you and I spoke, the episode that we recorded was episode 83. So that wasn't too long ago, it was just a couple months back. Um, the reception was very strong. I mean, that episode's got one of the one of the more downloads than the among than the other episodes, right? Oh. Um, it was titled The Value of UX Deliverables. And one of the things that we spoke about that really resonated with me uh, is we talked about like the the idea of like checklist designing. Yeah. And, you know, too often you and I have both seen that UX designers are just going through their process as if it was a checklist. Like uh, we need to do some discovery check and we need to write a persona check and we need to do a journey map check and hope that we end up at the right answer. And we discussed a lot about uh, how one of those things should be influencing the next thing. And I've brought that to so many different people in the last couple months since you and I discussed that, uh, sharing that with them because I continue to see it over and over again. What I wanted to ask you is, 
Do you think there's any bit of advice that we didn't cover in that episode or any bit of advice that you have found more recently uh, that you'd like to share? Hmm. That's a good question. Uh, I remember uh, that uh, I, I think, you know, it was it was really interesting to have a chat with you and also know your perspective. And I'm so happy that this resonated with other people. Mm -hmm. uh, this is something I still talk uh, with my students and, you know, my mentees and people who I work with. And um, I think, you know, it's it's the same principle, of course. And this is something we also want to talk about, you know, on Instagram and social media. Right insisting on this topic um but yeah it's the same principle you need to know exactly uh, where uh, the project is going like you need to know what you want to achieve with the project and one tip i actually have for you i remember because i was um, recently reviewing someone's portfolio and what I noticed in her portfolio was that she was using uh, the description of the method. You know, for example, when we use a method and let's mm -hmm. say a persona, uh, instead of saying, I use this persona because uh, she was saying um, the persona is a method that is used for da, da, da. So it's like, it's very class, you know, project style. Yeah, and yeah. And I think that's the issue because we see this as a step-by-step -step framework. We see this as a method that we need to use. So I think my tip is thinking beyond that, thinking beyond uh, using that deliverable and explaining that deliverable because you don't want to explain it. You want to actually explain why you used it as part of yeah. it. Yeah, and, and ultimately, I think if we're taking that analogy a bit further, right, a persona is a tool that you use in the process. And there's no point in describing the tool. Instead, we got to be describing what it is that tool did for us in the project as a whole. You know, the analogy of like, if you're building a home, we don't need to describe what a hammer is, but look at what the hammer built. Yeah. And, and that's like a good metaphor for what we should be focusing on. Uh, in those projects. I appreciate you sharing that. I love that. Thank you. <laughs> well, thank you for your time. I mean, this is uh, this has been really fun to be able to chat with you again. I appreciate the relationship that we have built over the last couple months. Uh, thank you for taking the time to celebrate episode 100. Of course, no worries. Thank you and congratulations. <laughs> I can't say my next guest's name without smiling because he's become an absolute inspiration to me and a friend of mine over the last couple months. There is this adage that says, never meet your heroes because they're sure to disappoint you. And I can happily say that that wasn't the case with James Martin. I've been following his tattooed hands on Instagram for years, watching him turn out logo after logo. Now, I know that I just said that when I asked Anna to join me on the show, that she agreed with no questions asked, but truthfully, that was the case with most of my guests. But better yet, the very first time I ever reached out to James to ask him for some of his time, he penciled me in within days. The guy has nearly 200,000 followers on Instagram and more across other social platforms. I'm sure that happens to him all the time. And he's as selfless with his time as they come. And people love him for that. I continue to learn a ton from James, logos aside. He's taught me how to be vulnerable and transparent, a skill that you might not think of as defining a UX designer, but a skill nonetheless that helps people work together more effectively. Mr. James Martin. How's it going? What's going on, dude? I'm good. I don't, doesn't, good. can you hear me fine? I can hear you. Cool. How are you, man? How's your day? 
rocking, you know, um, almost four o'clock now, dark, um, raining. Cold, dark day. That's what I hear. Yeah, it's, um, yeah, it's kind of, that's it's that time of year here now where it is. Is that just a typical winter? Just generally gloomy, you know, doesn't yeah. really, doesn't really get light, but you know, there's a lot to be happy about. You know, maybe you, maybe you expect this at this point, James, but people love you, man. No, I, I, <laughs> I don't expect bugger all from anybody, but I think that's the, um, I think that might be the, the power you know that's the magic power right there i I don't do it for you know i don't i don't know it just happens do you know what i mean it just happens you know and that response is totally on brand for for you as well like that's exactly (laughs) what i would expect out of you yeah i know i know you don't try and set yourself out there to do it but i think it's that authenticity which you and i talked about when we did our episode that just resonates with people i think authenticity has been key in 2020 I think it's I think it's always been key. Um, I think it's been key for centuries. Um, it's just it's it's changed. The world's changing quickly, and everybody's in comp- You know, people. You know, the old days where you used to go out. Even when I was younger, you know, you used to go out on the street and play footy with your neighbour or jump over the fence and go and hang out. You know, yeah. and twenty years later. Everybody fucking hates each other. Everybody's dissing everybody. Everybody's, you know, bitching on one another. Um, you know, it's kind of the whole community kind of, you know, just being yourself. And, you know, I mean, social media hasn't yeah. helped, obviously. But, yeah. yeah, I do believe, yeah, I mean, I mean, everybody's now, you know, the vulnerability. People enjoy the vulnerable and the authentic and the real because everybody goes through it. Just that not a lot exactly. of people, not a lot of people talk about it. So right. Um, right. I'm going to change that. So. No, you, you've been uh, an excellent example of that, especially on your Instagram where you're posting things that, uh, of course, benefit the community in ways of like, you know, the design and, and what you're doing there. But in your uh, ability to be vulnerable benefits people, because like you said, it doesn't often get talked about, but at the heart of it, everybody's got something there that uh we're all we're all we all shit we all um (laughs) we all we all do stuff um you know you know and we all trip up every now and again you know just make sure sure. you get up that's all it is that's for sure so since we last talked you've done some really cool things and i'm sure your 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 business continues to you know roll forward i saw your one it was uh your logo that you just did the other day, Jungle Culture. That was probably yeah. the last one I remember. She's Another dude. great logo. Yeah, yeah, dude, that was great. And you've done so many good ones over the last little bit. Have you had any favorites in the last couple months? Yeah, I mean, if I had kids, um, it, I would imagine it would be like asking somebody to choose between their children. You can't have a favorite. Um, you know, that I learned something from, although, you know, probably I think my brother was my favorite for my mom and dad. But, that's, <laughs> um, but I know, I, I think, you know, I, I truly, I learn, I get to meet people from all over the planet. Yeah, don't get me wrong. I have thing. I have ones that do better. You know, I have ones that get more engagement. But for me, that's, you know, I learn from every single one. You know, I, I don't think I'm by far complete a designer. I think I'm, you know, I've literally just been kind of working on a post today, kind of thinking, mm-hmm. you know, when was, you know, because everybody kind of goes, oh, you're, you know, oh you're so talented and i think well i'm i'm not talented. i didn't do my first like, talent basically means you're a natural 
you know, I didn't do start logo design until I was 25. And my first logo was shit. Do you know what I mean? So I'm not naturally gifted at logo mm-hmm. design. I've just worked very hard yeah. for the last what? 10 to 12 years to make something of it. And and I don't know if you've uh, read the book or heard the saying, the uh, the idea of uh, it's Carol Dweck's fixed mindset versus growth mindset. Uh, oh, we've yeah. talked about that on the yeah. on the podcast so many different occasions. And that's what you're describing right there is, is the fact that, you know, you jumped into it in your 20s. And, you know, it wasn't great when you started and, uh, you know, you're not going to say it, but I'll say it's great now and it's taken a lot of work to get there. And I'm sure you're going to still want to improve, but I mean, let's not look past the fact that your work is great, man. Yeah. I appreciate Uh, that. But I I still believe I've got a long way to go. Um, and I think, I think that's, I think it's the drive that keeps me, you know, I see some 16, 17, 18 year old dudes creating some really cool stuff. And I'm thinking, Mm. you know, at that age, I was in the fucking gutter doing drugs so um do you know what i mean you've got talent you've got more talent than me just do something with it (laughs) do something with it and continue to grow with it right yeah that's awesome and your newsletter is enjoyable i love your youtube videos uh you know i'm if i only had one complaint about the youtube videos is that there's not enough of them and uh, (laughs) the unfortunate thing is i pay for the fuckers so uh i said there's somebody able to start paying from fair and there's there's quality there's quality to it and and i get it and that quality takes a little bit to put together yeah i mean Um, that's but that's the reason like i i I could have gone on youtube ages ago i could have gone on skillshare but i didn't like the idea of we've talked about this before i didn't really want people to have to pay for my content Um, you know there's plans in the future but at the moment i still want to enjoy if you don't like it you didn't pay for it, you know, get over it. It's fine. Um, yep. But, you know, I, what I'm trying to do now is build up a, it's like with anything, it's a process and you build up a, you know, so like the video work is an extension of the Made by James Instagram and me. So I'm still learning and I've only been doing it for like six months, but I've been really yep. enjoying it. Um, but yeah, as I say, it's just about getting it right, getting the tone right. And, you know, but I love it. I love video. Um, yeah you know well you're you're natural on it speaking of free value that you're giving away let me ask you about the logo black book yo that's nice <laughs> yeah so yeah i mean so that's so that was something you know was kind of an incentive for people to obviously come on join me on my newsletter journey but mm-hmm. yeah I've, I've, you know i've you know me i've kind of got this big bug to kind of give everybody's paying for advice or if you want a phone call here it charges this you know if, if you want some advice pay me for it and i just kind of thought you know you know maybe at the moment i'm just kind of in this really nice vein of thought i'm just putting together you know little articles little guides you know ideas on it's you know, maybe an extension from the youtube you know just kind of tutorials or ideas but in pdf format that mm-hmm. you know once you sign up to the newsletter you can go and so yeah i've got guides on how to create custom letters guides on you know how to get clients guides on you know all the all, all all sorts of stuff and i keep adding to it all the time when i've got an idea for doing something i just kind of put it in a quick pdf and um chuck it on the old um newsletter so but i think it's you know, I mean, I just, I just, yeah, I mean, the, the industry's given me so much, you know, and I think spending half a day putting together a PDF of thoughts for young designers to help them grow is the least I can do. Um, so um, yeah. I enjoy it. I enjoy it. Yeah, it, it's a great uh, freebie 
I mean, one of the better ones that I've seen floating around the web. You've got content about pricing your logo design, uh, your general process, um, you know, what a mock logo design brief looks like, uh, how to a guide to create world word maps. I mean, there's a lot of good stuff in here. Yeah, uh, that that I think you you've obviously put a lot of time and thought into, and um, I would encourage people to to head to the madebyjames.co. Is that where it's at? Madebyjames.co website. Madebyjames.co. Yeah, or you can just hit logoblackbook.com, and you'll get straight. You'll go straight to the newsletter side. Um, Perfect. As I said, I mean, it's just it's just I'm just trying to create a place of fun and inspiration. Nothing too serious, you know. It's all basically it's all based on my you know, what's worked for me, what works for me might not work for everybody, but right. there might be a snippet of something bigger that might work for you. And, you know, at the end of the day, it's freaking free. So, um, you know, <laughs> whatever you want, mate. Being able to connect with you over the last, you know, little while has been, like I like I mentioned to you before, uh, just an absolute pleasure and an honor. I've been a big fan of your work for so many years. And uh, to be able to shoot you a message and say, hey, will you chat with me? And, you know, You've never been, uh, you know, snobby with your time. You've always been very giving, and, and I just can't tell you how much I appreciate it. Thank you very much, mate. It's a, always a pleasure. We'll be friends for life, and I hope on the next, on the two hundredth episode, we'll, we'll do some something else, something. Different. We'll get you again. Then. Yeah, well, I'll be back. Thank you very much. Thank you for celebrating episode one hundred with us. Uh, you're a gem. Congratulations, my man. Here's to many more. Thank you very much. My final guest for you today is another new friend of mine who has also made a huge difference in my life this year. He did it in a way that was much more lucrative as well. After my chat with Michael Janda, I re-evaluated how I approached pricing my freelance clients. I changed my tactics in the discovery calls, I navigated the budget conversations differently, and it resulted in helping me make more money freelancing in the last three months than I did freelancing all the last year combined. I don't share this information to toot my own horn. I share it because Michael knows how to deliver value. His new course on freelancing contains many more of his secrets, and he's got a current promo code that I'll be sharing tonight on the LinkedIn Live for those of you who tune in. In true Janda fashion, in a quick catch-up call, he was able to add some insights that I know you're going to love. What's new, man? What have you been up to? Oh, when, when did we talk last? When, when, when was our episode? Our episode was about two and a half, three months ago, but the recording okay. was about four months back. Uh, my life has been learning a whole bunch of new stuff for the first time in, in a lot of years. I'm, I had to learn how to grow on Instagram, uh, which I've spent the last year and a half doing. I had to learn how to edit video content myself. I didn't have a team of people working for me anymore. And so I started editing video and making video tutorials. And I made a course and I had to figure out Teachable and um, how I was going to structure all my content. I'm figuring out digital marketing right now and Facebook advertising. Mm. It's like every day is new stuff for me, which is kind of fun. At I was this say, phase you're you're of enjoying that though, aren't yeah, you? Yeah, totally. At this phase of my career, it's fun to have a new adventure and well, good to, for you and feel like a fish out of water a lot of times. Good for you. Yeah. Well, I appreciate the update. I, I catch a little bit of what you've been up to just via, you know, social media. Yeah. Um, 
since we spoke, our episode that you and I did together was about, you know, starting your freelance career. And you gave a lot of tips and insights into, you know, how to find your first client, how to price your first client, yeah. uh, and then how to repeat those results. I'm happy to report back that that episode completely changed how I priced myself no, for the last awesome. three months. And it's solely, and, and I know you've probably heard this before because I've read your freelance with Janda mm -hmm. reviews that mm -hmm. I know you're hearing this all the time, but I made more freelancing in the last three months than I did freelancing all of last year together. Oh and it was God, simply you, man. Yeah. And it was simply just applying those techniques that you said that uh, the truth is, is part of it was confidence. Like I just needed the confidence to know that yeah. this was the right things to go ahead and do it. And yeah. I recognize, and I've told my wife, I've been underselling myself for yeah. at least five years. Yeah. And putting myself in the right zone and then being able to figure out how to have those conversations with a bit more uh, tact yeah. uh, has really made all the difference. So oh, thank you so for, for that. Yeah, I absolutely. love that, man. I love that. You know what? Every creative is out there underselling themselves. Mm. Even, even at year 15 of agency life, I was still underselling myself. And they were tens of thousands, hundred thousand dollar projects we were doing. But the value we were delivering to the client was huge beyond what we were charging. And I think mm -hmm. as, as soon as we start understanding that, the value of creativity and the value of design, good design, uh, it really opens up opportunity for us to start increasing our prices and speaking with a lot more confidence when we understand that what we're really selling to the client can massively transform their business. Yeah. You invested a lot of time and energy into that freelance with Janda course. How yeah. has the reception been and the feedback been since? Uh, it's by a long shot exceeded my expectations. So I'm, I'm super grateful for that because I did put a lot of energy into it. I actually, I outlined that course before I left my agency back in 2018. I had the rough outline of these six different courses that it mm. ended up being. And it wasn't until COVID hit that I said, okay, now I have 100,000 followers on Instagram. I got a, a lockdown window here where I can just say, all right, I'm not going to travel. All my speaking gigs were canceled. I might as well just go all in and, and crank this thing out finally. And it was a huge undertaking, uh, but the feedback has been amazing. And undervaluing myself. I mean, the price right. point for the course is so inexpensive compared to the value that you get. I had one testimonial and it was, these are the ones that are my favorite, but she had $18,000 of new business in the first two weeks of after getting my course. And she, then she's messaging me saying, okay, I just closed. I've closed a hundred percent of the deals I've pitched in the last month since getting your course. And then she messes, messages me and said, hey, I just left my job and this does, I'm going full time now on my business and it's booming and it doesn't look like it's ever going to stop. So that, that kind of thing just gets me. That's the, that's the value back to me. I'm just so grateful for that kind of feedback. So mm -hmm. it's exceeded my expectation on every level. That's awesome. Congratulations. Yeah. That's, that's a really you. cool feat. Uh, another little piece of advice that you shared with me on the podcast was the saying, uh, do good work and be good to work with. 
And yeah. I have thought about that so many times. And I think I've actually turned around and shared that with a handful of people. And I may have even shared it on the podcast uh, uh, since then. But that little saying I do, I, I think, has also returned work to me. You know, yeah. past clients who are now coming back for more work. Uh, yeah. That little saying has been extremely influential in how I approached uh, my design freelance business. And I'm curious if since release of your freelance course, is there any little bit of advice that was left out that you're kind of going, I wish I could have included that somewhere? Um, in the course? <laughs> That's a good question because it's it's a 40-hour course. So I said I said a whole lot of stuff in that I, course. I, sure, but we, I know Janda well enough to know that that was a condensed version of what you yeah, wanted to say. Yeah, I'm, I am long-winded. I am notoriously <laughs> long-winded. That's um, not what I meant. <laughs> I meant that you got a lot going on up there that uh, yeah. I know you're condensing it. It's... it's um, more scripts. I the scripts that I give in the course and that I share in Instagram, people love the scripts. They're like, "Oh, I didn't know what to mm -hmm. say when the client said this." Mm -hmm. You know, it was mm -hmm. it's that kind of thing and I and I've been dropping more of that into the course. Okay, so here's one. So if somebody asks for your hourly rate, the script for that is thanks for asking we don't bill by the hour. We've found that it is better for both our clients and us to create a detailed project scope and a fixed price. You will know exactly what services and deliverables we provide and how much you will invest in the project. No surprises. Yes. So there's the script. There's the script. Now, if somebody asks your hourly rate, it's none of their business. You don't bill by the hour. You tell them, hey, it's better for us and you if we do this as a fixed bid. So that was a little script that I have a, in an upcoming post. And then here's another one that I've been asked a bunch of times about a price list. Somebody asks for your price list. And a lot of uh, junior-minded business owners out there think that they're ordering a McDonald's combo meal when they mm -hmm. order design. So they're mm -hmm. like, hey, how much is a number one? That's their mindset. Yep. So when somebody asks your price list, which you'll get from junior-minded business owners that that want to be a client of yours, you say, thanks for asking. We don't have a price list. Every client's business faces unique challenges. We take time to understand your custom needs and then provide you with a custom approach and price specifically tailored to help your business. When can we have a discovery meeting to discuss the needs of your business? And I think at the heart of that, it is, this is custom design for custom clients with custom problems. And what age or what, what business doesn't want to hear that? What business doesn't want to hear that their problem is unique? There, because it is. Every business problem has little nuances from one business to the next. You can't sell the same cookie to every single business when it comes to design because every single business has different little nuances. And when you tell, when the client says, hey, What's your price list? And you respond and say, no price list. You're custom. You're unique. You're special. We want to create something unique and special that solves your unique and special problem. That, it resonates with clients. So I guess there's two little nuggets there that uh, were not in the course that you get in this podcast right here. And I got goosebumps. And uh, this is why you're a fan favorite. Is like you <laughs> come in with these power pack things. And, and what you do so well is you 
can put into words, I think, what a lot of people have experienced. Yeah. And that's why it resonates. It's you're like, that's right. I, I, I recognize that, but I wasn't able to quite put a pin in what that idea was. And yeah. you, you articulate it so well. Thanks, man. Jenna, I can't take up any more of your time. Thank uh-huh. you for coming in here and celebrating episode 100. Uh, you're a great man. I appreciate you moving closer to me. I, I knew you you liked it coming it's south good. of the point here. Hey, let's go ski in a month. Where where do you ski? I'll go wherever you'd like. I'm a big Brighton okay. fan. I got my pass at Sundance. Let's take a Thursday or something and go hit the slope. Sundance is where I've I've gone most recently, so I'm I'm yeah. totally game with that. Let's do totally, it, man. All right. Thank you so much. Friends, I've said it once, I'll say it again. I'm extremely grateful for the relationships that have opened because of this podcast. Not just the guests that I've had on the show, but you, the listeners. Every time you reach out and share good news about getting hired, or that you finished your portfolio, or that you enjoyed an episode, you sincerely make my day. I love the connections I've made with you all. If you're listening to this episode, there's a good chance that we've had some sort of communication over the last couple years, and I love that about this show. If we have not had a good one-on-one conversation, then don't be shy. Reach out and say hello. Come join me and the rest of us on the Design Today Slack channel. Honestly, it's where I talk to all of my UX friends. There's sure to be good friends there for you as well. I've learned so much over the last two years. At the top of the list of learnings is this. At the end of the day, work is work. Don't ever get that twisted. There are more important things in this life than the work itself. Those things are the people you work with, the people you collaborate with, and the people who support you. Maybe you're lucky enough that some of those out there do all three of those things for you. Be good to them. They're good people to have on your side. This journey through our careers and life in general is hard enough. Be there for someone. Take what you've learned and pass it along. Pay it forward. I'll strive to do that for each of you every week. I'll ride this till the wheels fall off. As long as somebody out there is benefiting and I still have strength, you best bet the design today will be here every Tuesday. With that said, I hope you allow me to take the next couple of weeks off. I feel like this is a good place to end the year on and start preparing for the next one. I'll be back the first Tuesday in January with new guests. And in the weeks that follow, Uncle Mikey and I will be back as we continue to wrap on soft skills. I recognize that this year has been tough for many of you. Let me encourage you to finish off strong. End this year on a high note so that when life returns back to what we expect, you've positioned yourself strong. Let me encourage you to design something new today. Love you guys.